Today's episode takes us to Gillette, Wyoming, where 32-year-old Irene Gakwa disappeared in March 2022. Wyoming is a state in the northwestern part of the United States, and quite frankly, one I forgot even existed until I heard about this case. Sorry, fellow citizens, but I don't know a lot about the states where less than 1% of the population is Black. So when my friend told me about Irene, I was surprised to learn about the Kenyan woman at the center of this story. Sadly, like so many other stories I've told, this case has some telltale signs that Irene was very likely a victim of domestic violence. The big thing that sticks out to me is how she was gradually isolated over time. But let me not get ahead of myself. I'm Renetta Rideout, and this is Misogynoir Murders. It's been a little more than a year since March 20th, 2022, when Chris and his brother Kennedy walked into the Gillette, Wyoming Police Department to report their 32-year-old sister, Irene, missing. It had been nearly a month since they or their parents heard anything from her, which was abnormal to say the least. They reported that Irene last spoke to her father on February 24th, 2022 via a WhatsApp video call. WhatsApp is what Irene used to keep in touch with her family in Kenya, which is where she's from. Irene landed in Boise, Idaho, where the black population is less than 2%, to pursue a nursing degree at a university there. Her two older brothers had long since moved to the U.S. and convinced Irene and their parents that it would be a good move for her as well. But she wasn't so sure. She loved her life in Kenya and didn't really feel like she needed to go. Eventually, the idea of close proximity to her brothers, nieces, and nephews won Irene over, and she made the big move in 2019. Making such a major life change like that couldn't have been easy. She went from being in Kenya, where she lived a truly happy life, to a place where cultural differences were night and day. But Irene made it work. Sure, the ugali, a dense porridge made from maize mill or flour, didn't hit quite the same as at home, but she found other ways to be happy. Her sweet, timid, kind personality drew people into her orbit, allowing her to make friendships with schoolmates and colleagues. She also spent a lot of free time with her brothers and their families. Although Idaho was surely different, It was really good to have that time with her brothers after so many years apart while expanding her horizons. Her pursuit of one of those new horizons led Irene to Craigslist, where she met Nathan Heitman. The two of them began dating, and to say they were an odd couple is putting it lightly. Just in physical appearance alone, they were polar opposites. Nathan is as big as Irene is small. She's described as only weighing 89 pounds, standing at 5 feet 1 inch. But they also didn't seem well-matched in personality either. While described by some as shy, 
Irene is warm, friendly, and loving. She enjoyed intimate moments with her family and friends, but the same could not be said for Nathan. Irene's brother, Kennedy, told People Magazine that Nathan, quote, didn't say much, end quote, and said he didn't have any friends. Admittedly, Kennedy and Chris didn't think Nathan was a good match for their baby sister, for probably a number of reasons, but especially because they thought he was controlling. Then they noticed that Irene's once frequent visits became fewer and far between. Gradually over time, phone and video calls became the primary way she spent time with family. In 2021, this was exacerbated by Irene's announcement to her brothers that she was moving to Phoenix, Arizona. I don't know to what extent Irene included her family in her plans, but she did mention to her brothers that the cold Idaho weather was more than she cared to deal with, so she wanted to live in a warmer climate. I'm also not sure whether or not her brothers helped her pack up and move, but not before long, Irene was gone from Idaho. With her being so far from her parents and now far from the brothers she moved to the States to be with, WhatsApp became a lifeline, offering Irene access to her beloved family and friends from Kenya to Idaho. In November 2021, Irene was reunited with her brothers and their families to celebrate Thanksgiving together. I do wonder if Nathan attended the festivities as well and how that went if he did. Regardless, I do hope it was a lovely, magical time for Irene, her brothers, and nieces and nephews because it was the last time any of them saw her again. As 2021 ended and 2022 began, Irene's messages and video calls also began to change. Previously, she didn't go more than a day without talking to her parents, but now her responses were slower to come and not engaging. On February 24th, Irene and her father Francis had a video chat together, but he could tell something was wrong with his baby girl. She looked tired and didn't seem like her normal sweet self. He asked her if she was okay because everything about her seemed off. He thought maybe she might need help financially since she'd recently moved to Texas, but Irene's response was to assure her father that all was well. She simply was tired from work and school, to which her dad suggested she drink some warm milk and take a relaxing bath. On February 27th, Irene and her dad talked about her upcoming trip to Kenya. But instead of sounding as excited as one would think she'd be, her messages were flat. The conversations were also brief, and no matter how often he tried, Francis could never get Irene to video chat again. She made excuse after excuse as to why she couldn't with him or anyone else for that matter. At one point, she said she couldn't video chat because she dropped her phone in the water and the sound didn't work. Meanwhile, she was telling one of her brothers she was going to get a new phone number. This, of course, didn't make any sense either because being in the family phone plan with them meant she only had to pay $25 a month. So why get a whole new phone number and plan? It was another question added to the growing list of concerns her family had. Everyone was beginning to get a very strong sense that something was seriously wrong. By March, Irene's text to her parents and brothers had gotten even more strange. 
With her Kenyan family and friends, Irene spoke a hybrid of Swahili, her mother language, and English. Her text messages were also in Swahilish, as I like to say, making her communication style unique. However, now her text messages were all in English, and she didn't respond to anything said in Swahili. In fact, her messages became even shorter, sometimes just one-word responses like yes and no. In one text message, her father spoke to her in Swahili about an upcoming wedding that I guess Irene was supposed to attend. But when Irene's response came, she didn't even acknowledge what he said other than to refer to plane tickets being cheaper in August so it would be easier for her to come too. It was a totally random response and this made her dad ask if she was at work because maybe she was distracted. But she replied, quote, I just moved, so looking, end quote. This was another red flag because in the February video chat, she said work was making her tired and now she's saying she's looking for a job? It made no sense, but Francis further probed and asked if she needed assistance. She replied that all was well and even offered to send him money, in English, of course. Francis received one last message from Irene's phone on March 9th, 2022. She told him that she would call him from her new phone number, but she never did. Meanwhile, Kennedy and Chris were also trying to reach her unsuccessfully, and so began the search for Irene. Chris actually felt super uneasy about Irene's English text messages, so he called the police in Phoenix and asked them to do a welfare check at the address Irene told them she lived at. But when they got there, they learned Irene, in fact, did not live there. Completely shocked that not only was she not where she said she'd be, but she never had been. There was no record of her at all in Arizona. Chris relayed this message to his brother and parents and learned that Irene had told her dad that she moved to Texas. I know before y'all probably thought I messed up on the city, but nope, Irene hadn't been honest with her parents or her brothers. Now that the cat was out of the bag and everyone knew they'd been lied to, they were even more confused and worried because where in the world could she be and with whom? For the next week and a half, Irene's family went on the hunt to track down her friends to see if any of them had a clue where she could be, starting with where she lived, and they got a hit. One of Irene's best friends from Kenya told her family that she lived in Gillette, Wyoming with her fiance, Nathan. They moved there in July, 2021. Talk about another bombshell revelation. I can't imagine how her family felt after learning they'd been intentionally kept in the dark. It had to have been a bitter pill to swallow. Her parents didn't even know about Nathan at all, so to find out she not only had a boyfriend, but was also engaged, contradicted everything they knew about Irene and her usual behavior. I guess that underneath their worry and fear, perhaps they were a little hurt too. Who knows why they kept them in the dark, but the fact that she did couldn't have felt good. But I digress. 
Thanks to this new information from Irene's friend, Chris and Kennedy headed straight to the Gillette Police Department and reported Irene on March 20th. And wouldn't you know it, the police actually took the report and got to work trying to locate Irene right away. They located Nathan Heitman's residence and knocked on his door to have a chat and look around. Irene wasn't there and neither were any of her belongings. When they questioned Nathan, he told them that about a month ago, Irene went to a local restaurant and when she came back home later that evening, she had suddenly decided she was moving. She was leaving Gillette and she packed her bags, two plastic bags she stuffed some clothes into and walked out of the house and into the night. He said he watched her get into a black SUV and saw it drive off with Irene. He hadn't seen or heard from her since. Now, this is obviously sounding sketch as fuck, so the officers smiled and nodded and went on about their business with the investigation. And Nathan was their primary person of interest. With law enforcement busy investigating, Irene's family were left to wait for updates. However, they were surrounded by Gillette community members who offered their support. The people of the small town helped to keep Irene's name in circulation by holding fundraisers and conducting searches multiple times a week. Signs with Irene's face were posted on lawns and in businesses in hopes they would help drum up leads about Irene's whereabouts. Her brothers were interviewed for Gillette and Boise news stations, and there's even a website called whereisirene.com, where all the public information about this investigation is posted. Irene's story began to spread far and wide, but despite these best efforts, she was still nowhere to be found. I can only imagine that a sense of hopelessness was settling in for her family because no news definitely meant bad news. And then the Gillette Police Department made an arrest in connection to Irene's disappearance. On May 4th, less than two months after Irene was reported missing, Detective Dan Stroop submitted an affidavit of probable cause against Nathan. The document states that there was probable cause to charge and arrest him for two counts of felony theft two counts of crimes against computer users, and one count of felony unlawful use of a credit card. The victim whose money Nathan was accused of stealing? You guessed it, Irene's. I'll read you an excerpt from the affidavit. Detective Stroop wrote, quote, As part of the missing person investigation, multiple search warrants were generated and served. Two of these warrants were to Idaho Central Credit Union and Capital One Visa. Both warrants requested information regarding financial transactions pertaining to Irene. Additionally, a warrant for Irene's Gmail account was served to locate account and location information. In reviewing the information gathered with these search warrants, it was determined that Nathan had removed the money, utilized Irene's credit card without authorization, changed the banking password, and deleted her Google account, end quote. The affidavit goes on to state that her banking password was changed and there were eight transactions conducted on her checking account, 16 credit card transactions, and 80, yes, eight zero, transactions on her Capital One card. 
The detective also found evidence that Irene's Gmail account was deleted on March 10th. The total monetary damages totaled $6,897.11. All of these transactions took place on or after February 24th, the last day she video chatted with her dad. It was also noted that the first of the 16 credit card transactions was a purchase at Walmart for a pair of pants, a pair of boots, and a shovel. According to the affidavit, when questioned by detectives about the transactions, password change, and account deletion, get this, this dude said he only did those things to make her come back. His logic, if you can call it that, was that if she ran out of money, then she would have to come back. Can you feel my side eye? Clearly, the police didn't buy that and righteously locked his butt up in the Campbell County Detention Center with a $10,000 bail which he did pay. He faced up to 23 years of hard time, but of course he pleaded not guilty. However, it would be a long year's wait until the trial began. And until that time, Nathan was out of jail, free to live his life. This was all big news and it was certainly several giant leaps forward, but the original problem still remained. And that is that Irene was still missing. With all these charges against Nathan, it became clear to her family that while they would keep on searching, they weren't likely to find Irene alive, but they committed to finding the truth and getting justice no matter what. Then in the same month of May, the family's hope was slashed further. The city of Gillette's government Facebook page, although unverified, asked the public to share with them any details about a gray or silver-colored Subaru Crosstrek with Idaho license plates that might have seemed out of place or may have been trespassing. Then they proceeded to drop the bomb that they were also looking for information about a 55-gallon metal drum that they believed had been burned in Nathan's backyard and abandoned somewhere in Campbell County. I won't tell you where my mind just went as I said those words, but I will say it wasn't anywhere good. My heart breaks for Irene. She was just a woman on her path to step into her power. She was studying to be a nurse so she could be of service. She loved her family and treated other living beings with respect. She wanted to experience true romantic love, but instead she disappeared, and God knows what she endured up till that point. It's obvious she wasn't being transparent with her loved ones, so it seems like she struggled with whatever she was going through alone. Just the thought of that makes me so sad. Although there hasn't been a public update about the car or the 55-gallon drum, there has been progress. On March 28, 2023, Nathan pleaded guilty to one felony count each of theft, unlawful use of credit card, and crimes against intellectual property. Now, based on what I pieced together and understood about the punishment for these crimes in Wyoming, It sounds like Nathan's gonna be gone bye-bye for a cool 20 years, but he's yet to be sentenced, so we shall see. 
it would be great if he was removed from society because obviously he's a threat to women so i hope his punishment is appropriate but like i said we'll see before i close out this episode i just want to wrap things up with a couple of thoughts and impressions i got as i learned about irene and the circumstances surrounding her disappearance The first is, although Irene didn't talk about the things she might have endured with Nathan, there were some hallmarks of abuse present. For one, her brothers noticed that Nathan was controlling and gradually isolated her from them. This was further backed up by a witness statement from a car salesman who told detectives Irene and Nathan came to sell her silver Acura. The salesman thought it was weird because the car was clearly in her name, but Nathan was the one doing all the talking and appeared to be the one eager to sell the car, which he did for a sum of $2,000. This took place in January, just the month before she went missing. And let's not forget about the lies Irene told to misdirect her family. It wasn't to be bad or malicious, no. She may have been forced into secrecy by her abuser, or she might have been ashamed to tell anyone what she was going through. Add to all of that that she may not have known the laws surrounding domestic abuse and what resources were available to her. Number two, I also wonder why it took so long to report her missing. By that first week of March, everyone pretty much felt that Irene wasn't the one responding to their messages and that something was wrong. I didn't read anywhere or see on the news that the Gillette police delayed in responding. In fact, it seems like they acted right away, so I can't help but wonder if they might have found the 55-gallon drum had she been reported sooner. Almost a whole month had passed before they even began investigating. There's no telling what Nathan did during those weeks or what he concealed, and it doesn't sound like he's talking much. At any rate, that's all I have for you about this case, but please stay tuned for future updates. If you want to help continue the search efforts, please consider making a donation. You can find a link to the official GoFundMe page on whereisirene.com or by clicking on the link in the show notes. You can also donate via Zelle, Cash App, and other options. And lastly, if you or anyone you know has information regarding Irene's disappearance, the gray or silver Subaru Crosstrek, or a 55-gallon metal drum in Campbell County, Wyoming, you're asked to call the Gillette Police Department at 307-682-5155. Of course, this will also be in the show notes. As always, thanks for listening. I am so excited to announce on the behalf of the Raynell K.V. Marshall Memorial Scholarship Foundation, the very first adult prom in Raynell's honor. This is a scholarship foundation founded by Raynell's mother to support other fantastic students out there. The event details are May 6, 2023 from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. at the Oswald Durant Center in Alexandria, Virginia. It's a semi-formal event and you must be 21 years or older. Tickets are $40 a piece. 
Now, if you can't make it, that's a-okay. You can still donate for a really good cause. I'll go ahead and leave a link in my show notes and you can reach out and find out how you can donate for this amazing scholarship program. Raynell's episode was one of the most popular episodes on this podcast so far, and I think the least we can do after having consumed her story is to donate to this fabulous event in her honor because it's absolutely something she would do for someone else. So let's show up and show out for Raynell. The next announcement I have is you can now sign up for the Massage Noir Murders newsletter. If you're a fan of this podcast, you're not going to want to miss the updates about open cases and podcast news that will be shared in the newsletter. There's a lot to keep up with, so click the link in the show notes to sign up today, and I'll catch you next time on Massage Noir Murders. This is a Savvy Sounds production, written and produced by Renetta Rideout.